This reading is from Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 21, found on page 1110 of the P Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they travelled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Alrighty. Well, good evening, everyone. It's great to see you. My name's Tom. If you haven't met me before, uh, I thought uh, we could start by um, turning to the person next to you and uh, just discussing this. If you don't like doing that, you can just tell the person next to you that you don't like doing it. You can just think about it in your head. But, but try to be social tonight if you can. Um, what I want you to do is turn the person next to you and I want you to complete this sentence. Unless you blank, you cannot be saved. Does that make sense? Okay, you've got to fill in the blank. Unless you blank, you cannot be saved. How would you complete that Sentence. Does that make sense? Great. Okay, you've got one minute. Go for it.
Okay, I'm, I'm sensing a hush. There's some outrageous heresy in the front row here. Uh, tonight we're, we're asking the... Hopefully we'll, we'll answer that question um, as we go through the sermon tonight. Uh, but tonight we're asking the question, are you making it difficult for people to be saved? Are you making it difficult... Uh, for people to be saved. I've noticed that around this time of year, um, there are a few students here who are waiting or have just heard about getting into uh, their uni that they've applied for, or almost getting in. It's kind of an interesting system here where you apply and then you wait to see if you actually got the marks to get in. But you're waiting to find out if you've got in. And one of the things I've noticed is some of these unis, uh, especially uh, one like uh, Cambridge here, uh, here where we live, they can make it quite difficult for you uh, to get in, can't they? Uh, it can be a bit hard. First of all, you've got to get a pretty good mark. I, so I hear, I don't know, but it's got to be a pretty good mark. You can't just coast your way through your last year of school. You're going to have to work pretty hard, I think. Um, but, but then even if you do that, even if you get a really good mark, that's not enough. It still seems more difficult. You've got to do an interview and you've got to do quite well in your interview. And they just seem to be putting all these barriers uh, in the way of people being able to get in. They make it difficult in order to get in. Well, the question we're asking today is, are you making it difficult for people to be saved? And let me tell you about a girl that was in my youth group. About 15 years ago, uh, I was running a youth group and there was this girl uh, who was really passionate, uh, really excited about following Jesus, really a uh, wonderful believer, and uh, just wanted to sort of give her all uh, to Jesus and, and serve him with her life. And one night, she came to Youth Group, which was really sad. She was almost on the verge of tears. And the reason was, was that one of uh, her best friends at school, who was also a Christian, had said to her, I don't think you're really a Christian. And this really gutted her, and she was really sad about it. And, and the reason was, was that this girl thought that in order to, to be a Christian, to be a proper Christian, you needed to be this very spiritual person full of certain gifts that showed that you were really spiritual, and that was the mark that you were a Christian. And because this girl d- didn't have that, she thought, well, you're not really a Christian. And, and it was really, really gut-wrenching for her, because she... she knew that pretty much her friend was wrong, but in the back of her head she was wondering, well, maybe I'm not saved. What what if she is right? Uh, Her friend was making it difficult for her to be saved by saying, well, actually, in order to be saved, it's it's not enough just to trust in Jesus. You've got to do this other thing as well. And and we can actually do this in a a load of different ways. Uh, We can do this with religious rituals. Uh, Unless you're baptised, you can't be saved. Unless you receive the sacraments, unless you speak in tongues, you can't be saved. We can do it with emotions, unless you have this deep emotional experience, unless you have some fuzzy feeling and get all tingly, then you're not really saved. I think in our context, we can do it maybe with tribalism, you know, unless you're part of our group, unless you belong to our church or you're in our denomination. Are you really saved? I'm not sure. And what we're actually doing is, is we're making it difficult for people to be saved by adding things on. Now, this is not a new issue. 
And this is exactly the issue that was going on uh, in Acts chapter 15, the, the chapter that we're looking at this evening. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, they have been going around telling people about Jesus, sharing the gospel. And they're in this place called Antioch. And they've been sharing the gospel with a bunch of Gentiles. That means non-Jewish people. And amazingly, people have become Christians. It's been wonderful. And they've come back to Antioch to to see how the church is going and how, how all these people have become Christians. But we're told that a group of Christians had come down from uh, Judea. They come down from Judea to Antioch and they had started teaching something that Paul hadn't said. We actually see it in verse 1. Have a look. Certain people came down from from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. You see what they're adding on there, okay? They're saying you're not saved, you're not a real Christian, you're not in unless you're also circumcised. And this becomes a big issue. This is what the chapter is about. Paul and Barnabas, they go down to Jerusalem and all the apostles get together to work out a response to what these people are saying. Are they right? How do you respond? And really, the rest of this chapter is a response to this question over whether you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. And even though I doubt circumcision is is really something that people are pressing you for these days, this is an issue that's important for us because people will make it difficult for you to be saved or for other people to be saved by trying to add on to the message of the gospel. So we need to listen to how the apostles responded uh, to this first example of where people were making it difficult to turn to God. So we're going to have a look at two responses here in this passage. First of all, we're going to have a look at Peter's response, and then we're going to have a look at James's response. So first of all, what does Peter have to say about all of this? And Peter's response is really straightforward. Peter says, no... Because you are saved through faith alone, by grace alone. So have a look at verse 6 with me again. The apostles and elders met to consider this question, and after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. So what is Peter's response to this question of whether you you have to be circumcised in order to be saved? Well, Peter says, no, that's not right. The only thing that matters is if you are trusting in Jesus, you are saved through faith alone, by grace alone. We're going to have a little think about what those words mean mean? So first of all, let's think about faith alone. Have a look at verse 9 again. What does Peter say? 
God does not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. What Peter is saying is, is that it actually doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. God actually looks at every single one of us exactly the same. He treats us the same. And what that means is, is that the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters when it comes to whether you're saved is whether you trust in Jesus or not, whether you have faith in Jesus. Uh, When I was at college, uh, I had a mate uh, who was good at everything. Do you have one of these friends? They're very annoying. He was good at everything and uh, he was also quite wealthy. And one day he thought, you know, I'm going to take up skydiving. Not like, you know, go skydiving for my 18th birthday. No, he was going to do this now as his regular sport. Uh, So every weekend he would go out and he would go skydiving. And sure enough, the guy who's good at everything, after about a year, he ended up being in the Australian skydiving team and going to Dubai to represent Australia uh, with his team in the World Championships of skydiving. Now, I talked to him a little bit about skydiving because I was interested. I thought this is cool. Um, and, and he was telling me all about the, the things that they do in the team because I kind of thought, well, how is skydiving a sport? You know, you're kind of just falling, aren't you? You just kind of jump out of a plane. After that, it's mostly gravity. It's not really you doing anything. But apparently, it's quite complicated. You know, they, they all get together and they do these amazing formations and then break apart and do these amazing formations. And it can look really impressive, all the things you can do while you're falling out of a plane. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. At the end of the day, once you jump out of that plane, there is only one thing that really matters, and that is, will your parachute open or not? Okay, That's the only thing that really matters. You can be doing the most amazing formations, flips, coming together, looking the, the, the most amazing skydiver in the world, but if you don't have a parachute on your back that works, you are just a very, very silly person who's jumped out of a plane. See, the only thing that matters is whether you... The only thing that really matters is if you have that parachute on. And this is Peter's point. He says, look, at the end of the day, the only thing that actually matters is if you trust in Jesus or not. If you trust in Jesus' death. Have a look at verse 9 again. He has purified their hearts by faith. You see, these Jewish Christians were saying, no, the the way that you are purified, the way that you are made right with God, the way that you're saved is by being circumcised. And Peter's saying, well, well, no, that that does nothing. That that just kind of changes you on the outside, and quite painfully, I might add. But no, it's faith that actually does something effective here. It's only faith in Jesus that can purify your heart. See, Peter's saying, at the end of the day, circumcised, not circumcised, doesn't really matter. What matters is, does the parachute open? Have you had your sins forgiven? And if that's the only thing that matters, then the only thing that you need in order to be saved is to trust in Jesus, to trust in his death on the cross for your sins. That's all that matters. And so Peter's response to this question is really simple. No, faith alone. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, not just faith alone, but grace alone. So have a look at verse 11. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. 
Now, what does that mean, that word grace? When Paul talks about God's grace to us, he's talking about the way that God has treated us even when we didn't deserve it. He's saying that our salvation, being rescued by Jesus, is not something that we've earned. It's something that God has given to us as a gift freely. Uh, My first job was at McDonald's. Uh, In Australia, we like to call it Macca's. Uh, My first job was at Macca's, uh, and I remember getting my first payslip. Now, this is going to show my age, but when I got it, okay, I I, I took all the money and, and... didn't earn a lot back then. I think it was probably like three pounds an hour, maybe. Uh, I, I, took my, I took all the money that I earned from my payslip and I went to HMV, which was the CD store across the road, and I bought my first CD that I bought with my own money. CD is a round thing that <laughs> you listen to music on. Um, and it felt so good. Why did it feel good? Because I earned it. This was with my money that I had worked for, and this was my CD that I bought. It was all me. I earned it. And that's how most people think about being saved. Okay, when people think about being saved, being right with God, they think about earning it. They think you need to earn your salvation, that you need to be good enough in order to be saved. And for different people, it'll be different things. Maybe it's, I need to be baptised to earn it. Maybe it's, I need to do enough good deeds. Maybe it's, I need to read my Bible enough or go to church enough. Whatever it is, they think, God's only going to accept me if I earn my place. But Peter says, no. It's not about earning your way into salvation. Salvation is by God's grace. In other words, salvation is a gift. It is given to you freely. That's what grace means. And so for Peter, these people who are saying, you know, you've got to earn your salvation by being circumcised and keeping the law, people are saying, well, no, that's got nothing to do with it because it's not about earning my way in, whether it's circumcision or anything else. It's about God freely, lovingly giving me salvation when I put my trust in Jesus. Well, so what should we take away from Peter's response? And when I was younger, I was taught that the two big ways that people can lead you astray uh, from the gospel is by either teaching you gospel minus or gospel plus. Okay, so gospel minus is when people say that you need less than the gospel in order to be saved. Uh, So someone might say, well, you don't really need to trust in Jesus. Whatever you believe doesn't matter. You'll be right with God. That's gospel minus. That's less than the gospel. That's not true. Or they might say, yeah, you know, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. That's just a metaphor. That's taking away from the gospel. It's gospel minus. Or maybe they'll say, yeah, you know, trusting in Jesus, it doesn't really mean you need to change your life at all or that you need to, you know, actually obey God in anything God just wants you to be happy. You do whatever you want with your life. That's gospel minus. Okay, Does that make sense? You're taking away something from the gospel. But equally dangerous is what we might call gospel plus. And that is where you are adding something to the gospel, where you're saying that you actually need to do more than trusting in Jesus. And this is what Peter's dealing with, gospel plus. Gospel plus circumcision. 
Or, or plus baptism, plus good deeds, plus an emotional experience, plus tongues, plus being in the right group or denomination. And the answer to gospel plus is Peter's answer here. It is no, we are saved by faith alone and by grace alone. Now, why does this matter? I mean, why should we get so bothered about all of this? Is this just sort of theological nitpicking by people who are nerdy and and really like this sort of stuff? Well, no. Peter actually shows why this matters in verse 10. Have a look at verse 10. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Um, My boy Peter, who's five, um, likes being really helpful a lot of the time, which is very cute but also very annoying because you just want to do it yourself, but he wants to do it. And one time he wanted to carry my backpack. And I insisted, no, it's too heavy for you. He said, no, 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 I can carry it, I can carry it. He kept on bugging me about it. I kept on saying, no, he kept on bugging. And so in kind of a cruel parent moment, I thought, all right, I'll let him wear the backpack. And he, he, I put it on his back and he toppled over straight away and hit the deck. And I kind of had a chuckle. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's the sort of dad I am. Now, I put on his back a burden that was too great for him to bear. It was too heavy for him. He couldn't carry it. And Peter is saying that when you tell people you are saved because of what you do rather than you're saved by trusting in Jesus, you're actually putting a burden on their back, not only that they can't carry, but that no one can carry. Did you notice that point that that Peter makes in verse 10 there? It's a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. I mean, that is what's so cruel about it. No one is good enough for God. And so if you're saved by what you do, there is no one in this room, including me, including Simon, including anyone here, there's no one in this room who can actually be saved if if it's up to what we do. And so when you tell someone else that, when you tell someone else, the only way to be saved is by doing something, not by trusting in Jesus, you're putting a burden on their back that they and you can't bear. And so I think we need to be really serious about this. We need to be serious about it when other people try to tell you or tell others here or tell other Christians you know that you're saved by what you do. This isn't just some theological nitpicking. This isn't just some minor issue that we can agree to disagree on. No, this is the gospel. And we don't want people bearing burdens that they cannot carry. We don't want to make it difficult for people to be saved. And can I say this as well? We need to make sure that we don't put the burden on our own back as well. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, we tend to think that faith alone and grace alone applies to everyone else except for me. And we tend to hold ourselves At a different standard, we still operate for ourselves on thinking that, yeah, I I know faith alone, I know grace alone, but actually, I think I need to do something in order for God to accept me. I think 
it's only when I stop sinning completely in this area and really get my life on track here that God is going to really love me. It's only when I really get my act together with my Bible reading or when I start sharing the gospel with people, that's when God is going to accept me. Now, they're all good things to do. Please do them. But that's not what saves you. It's so easy to put that burden back on our own backs when Jesus has taken it off. If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, you should. It's a great book. It's an allegory of the Christian life. And there's a wonderful moment where the main character, Christian, very imaginative, uh, Christian, uh, he's on his journey uh, to heaven. And the crucial moment is when he comes to the cross. And as, as he comes to the cross, he's been carrying this incredibly heavy load on his back. It's his sin. It's his guilt before God. And as he comes to the cross, let me read what happens. Just as Christian came to the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from off his back and began to tumble, and so continued to do so until it came to the mouth of the tomb where it fell in, and I saw it no more. This is what is so wonderful about the message of Jesus. It takes the burden off our backs by saying that we are saved, not by what we do, but by what Jesus has done for us. Faith alone, grace alone. So don't put the burden back on. Don't make it difficult for people or for yourself to be saved. Well, that's the first response, and that's the one we're going to spend the most time on. But I want to quickly have a look at James's response as well, because I think it's a really helpful and interesting response, because at first it seems so weird and confusing. Uh, so we've heard Peter's response. Now let's have a look at James. Now, James starts out by completely agreeing with Peter. Okay? He actually opens up his Bible, goes to the Old Testament and says, you know what, what Peter's saying is not new. This is what God was saying way back in the Old Testament. Okay? This has always been God's message. Peter is absolutely right. And I think verse 19, James sums up the issue perfectly. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So James completely on board with what Peter is saying about faith alone, grace alone. But then he says something really strange. So have a look at verse 20. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. And it just seems really confusing. It seems like James is saying, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Faith alone, grace alone. It's not about Old Testament rituals, nothing like that. I totally agree with you. Oh, but stick to the food laws. Don't, you know, you still need to do that. And it just, just seems really odd. And then he kind of throws this random thing about sexual immorality in as well. And you're like, well, of course, that's bad. But why pick that out of everything else? It just seems like a really odd response. It's a little bit like, you know, when you're having a conversation with someone and you think you're totally on board and on the same page with them and then they just say something and you realise, no, you haven't understood at all what I'm saying. That kind of seems what it's like with James. But actually, what James is saying is incredibly helpful for us today. And James is actually making the same point that Peter is making. So let's try and understand this. The first thing we need to understand is that the things that James lists, food polluted by idols, sexual immorality, meat of strangled animals and blood, 
These are all things that were associated with idol worship. Okay, so back in those days, there would be a shrine to an idol. Prostitution was usually involved in idol worship. That's why sexual immorality is being mentioned here. And when uh, the animal was sacrificed, uh, they would eat uh, the food. They would eat the animal. You could maybe go to the shrine and just buy it. It was like, you know, you butcher, you you buy the meat. Or there'd be this great feast as well, and, and that's where you could eat. And so what is James talking about here when he says don't do these things? Well, I take it that he's saying, yes, you don't need to follow Jewish rituals in order to be saved, but these specific things I want you to keep not doing because they're associated with idol worship. And he gives the reason, try and keep up with me here, he gives the reason in verse 21. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So he's saying, in every city, including Antioch, there are going to be Jewish people who know their Old Testament. And when a Jewish person sees you doing those things, they are going to think that you are involved in idol worship. And I don't want them to think that. Let me try and give an illustration to, to explain this, because I know it's a little bit hard uh, for us to, uh, to get. Imagine there is a Roman... Uh, guy in Antioch called Marcus. Now, Marcus has become a Christian, and for as long as he can remember, every Friday night, he'd stop at the local shrine to pick up a kebab. And they had the best kebabs in Antioch. I mean, the lamb was just amazing, okay? It was beautiful. Now, Marcus knows that he's not saved by what he eats. He's saved by trusting in Jesus. So even though he's become a Christian, he realizes it's not a big deal to go to the shrine, pick up a kebab. Doesn't mean anything It's fine, and he's right. But Marcus has a mate at work called Jacob, and Jacob is Jewish. And over lunch breaks, Marcus has been telling Jacob about Jesus, and he's been pointing him to the Old Testament to prove he's the Messiah, and Jacob is showing real interest. But one day, Jacob is heading home, and he sees Marcus at the shrine, and he's eating this kebab. And he thinks, what is going on here? I've read my Bible Marcus is an idol worshipper. I'm not going to listen to a word he has to say. And all of a sudden, that opportunity for this Jewish person to become a Christian has been blown because of what Marcus has done. Now, this is what I want us to understand. James actually has the same concern that Peter does. He doesn't want to make it difficult for people to be saved. But James's point is, look, yes, you have freedom in Christ. You have freedom to, to, to no longer follow these, these food rituals. But how should you use your freedom? Don't use your freedom to make it difficult for people to be saved. Use your freedom to make it easy for people to turn to Christ. And if that means giving up on lamb kebabs, then do it. Now, I think one of the mistakes that we often make once we get saved by grace through faith is that we we like to flaunt it a bit, don't we? Uh, We want to show people, none of this stuff that you care about matters at all. Who cares about this? The only thing that matters is trusting in Jesus. But in the process, we can accidentally make it harder for people to turn to God. This is the point that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians. We're completely free, but we should use our freedom to help others come to Jesus. 
Let me give you two examples. Uh, As I said before, um, I I used to live in Sydney, and where I lived was a largely Muslim area. The majority of people were Muslims. And it was a great example of how Christians use their freedom to help people come to know Christ. Uh, So whenever we ran a community barbecue uh, or something like that, we would always make sure that the meat was halal. And we would always put a special mat on the barbecue to make sure that the meat wasn't contaminated with anything else that was cooked uh, on there before. Now, I couldn't care less if food is halal or not, okay? That doesn't matter to me at all. That has no bearing on my salvation, no bearing on my, uh, on my standing with God. I love a good bacon sandwich as much as the next guy, okay? So why do this? Well, because I want them to come to the picnic, right? I want to meet them. I want to get to know them. I want them to hear the gospel so that they'll be saved. So, yeah, I've got the freedom to eat bacon. I've got the freedom to eat non-halal uh, meat, But that doesn't mean I should use my freedom in order to make it difficult for people to be saved. So I use my freedom to help people to come to know Christ. Let me give you one other example before we finish. Um, November last year, we had that really formal remembrance service in here. Do you remember that? That was a bit of a joke. Uh, We had a remembrance service in here, and and we had uh, some... (laughs) Thanks, son. We had... uh, we had St. Catherine's choir here, and they were all dressed up in fancy dress, and Simon was decked out in his collar, looking very, very nice. And it was all quite formal, wasn't it? Now, we don't do that normally here, do we? I mean, this is a TNG service. It's completely different, isn't it? Why did we do that? Why, why on earth would we make a, a, a big deal? Why on earth would we do that? We, we don't care about you know, choirs and collars and all that kind of frilly dress and all that sort of thing. Well, we did it because it was an opportunity to reach out to certain people in our community with the gospel. And to some of those people, uh, dressing in a certain way actually communicates that you take God seriously. And so if in that situation, it's actually going to help people come to God, use your freedom to help others come to God. Don't make it difficult for people to be saved. And so Peter and James actually are teaching us the same thing. Don't make it difficult. I think the best way to sum this up is to look at the example of Paul, the apostle. In Acts 15, he kicks up a huge stink because someone has said, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. But if you read on to the next chapter, in Acts chapter 16, he gets his co-worker Timothy, to actually be circumcised because they're going to go and share the gospel with some Jewish people. And he doesn't want the fact that Timothy's dad was a Greek to get in the way. Now, that sounds odd, doesn't it? Chapter 15, Paul is furious because someone said, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Chapter 16, Paul says, hey, Timothy, go get yourself circumcised we're going to, to talk to some Jewish people about the gospel. But that actually encapsulates the point that's made in this chapter. We don't want to make it difficult for people to be saved. And so we never want to add anything to the gospel. Saying you must do this, put a yoke that they can't bear. We never want to do that. But we also want to make sure we use our freedom to always earn a hearing so that people will hear the gospel and be saved. And so this passage is is reminding us not to make it difficult 
for others to be saved. Let's, let's pray that we can do that. Loving Father, we, we thank you so much for Jesus. We, we thank and praise you that he died on the cross for our sins and that by his blood we are saved and free. Father, this is a, a wonderful, liberating truth that we rejoice in and we pray that it would never be tarnished or corrupted by those who want to add to the gospel. Help us, Lord, to always protect uh, this message and to always preach faith alone, grace alone. And Father, we pray that we preach this to our own hearts as well. But Father, we also pray that we would use the freedom that you give us not to make it difficult for others to be saved, but that we would do everything to make sure that some might be saved. We ask this in your, in your son's name. Amen.